Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, portfolio manager Brett DeLay joins host Rory Poole to discuss Fidelity Market Neutral Alternative Fund. Brett talks about the diversification benefits that alternative investing brings to the table and why one should consider a long-short strategy. Brett explains the way he invests in this fund is by relative value investing. He doesn't focus on the direction of the underlying market or asset class. Rather, he focuses on identifying situations where there are discrepancies between valuations and fundamentals. The aim is to have returns to come back strictly from stock versus stock as they don't have any market or style biases. Furthermore, he focuses on fundamentals and asks, has anything changed? Is my theory incorrect? If nothing has changed, Brett maintains his conviction. In addition to his investment strategy, Brett discusses his thoughts on long and short positioning in 2023 and underlying themes and trends in health, tech, and consumer discretionary. This podcast was recorded on January 6, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Why don't we get started by you telling us a little bit about the structure of the fund and then we'll move on from there. Sure thing. So the Fidelity Market Neutral Alternative Fund is a true market neutral. So what that means is the fund is managed with a beta of zero, which is another way of saying the correlation to the underlying stock market, bond market, commodities, Bitcoin, anything you name it, is zero. So the alpha is generated from pure stock picking, not from the direction of the underlying uh, markets or asset classes. The way that we run the fund is for every dollar invested, we go $1 long and $1 short for a net exposure of zero. That's what contributes to the basically no correlation with any other asset class. The fund is structured using a series of pair trades. So at any given time, I have approximately 50 pair trades on. So that's about 40 to 50 longs and somewhere between 60 to 80 shorts. Um, And so what the fund focuses on is trying to generate alpha from pure stock picking um, on a stock versus stock basis. Uh, We don't use indexes or derivatives. We use equities to construct the fund. And so that's basically how the fund is structured. And when you say kind of pure market neutral, um, just to define that for folks out there, you mentioned kind of dollar for dollar, equal parts long and short. So this is not a product that is going to go slightly high in terms of net exposure, whether it be long or short. This is aiming to stay at zero at all times, correct? That's correct. And so we actually have restrictions. We keep the beta at plus or minus 0.1, so effectively zero. And we keep the dollar exposure to plus or minus 2%. So this is truly zero net exposure. Okay, good stuff. And I want to talk a little bit more about what we just discussed a little bit later in our conversation. But let's talk a little bit about maybe some more philosophical elements in terms of how you invest. I'm kind of curious, like, what do you think helps define 
this product and more importantly, the way that you go about investing? So the whole premise of this product and the way I invest is what I call relative value investing. So the direction of the underlying stock markets or asset classes is not important to me. It has no bearing on the performance of the firm. I'm trying to identify situations where I can have a group of similar stocks potentially trading at the same valuation, but have very different fundamentals. We could have be long a company that is growing faster, has a longer runway, better margins, better management team, and short a company in a similar industry that has the opposite of those, lower growth, weak margins, uh, poor management team. Uh, on the other end, we could have two companies with very similar fundamentals, growing the same, similar margins, great management teams, but trading at different valuations, in which case I would try and go long the cheaper company and short the more expensive company. These are the types of situations I'm trying to capitalize on. So factor exposure is probably something that you pay a fair amount of attention towards in that you're targeting these groups of stocks that try and exhibit a fairly high degree of correlation among one another. Is that fair to say? That's right. And so, you know, one of the keys that we really focus on in this fund is we want the returns to come from stock versus stock. We'd have no sort of market bias, as we mentioned by the zero correlation. But the other thing that's really important is this is not a growth versus value, value versus growth, small cap versus large caps. We try and neutralize all those factors. So we don't want any style bias creeping into the fund. There's other ways that you can achieve that if that's something you're looking to, to try and find. But we make sure that all the alpha comes from pure stock versus stock. And it's a diversified product when I look at kind of things like sector exposure and what have you. But I find that more often than not, you tend to carry more gross exposure within some more growth-oriented sectors. So I think of things like tech, healthcare, industrials, uh, consumer discretionary. Is that more of a function of the product or is it more of a function of the way that you actually go about or your style of investing? So I think it's two-pronged. I think part of the reason that it's a function of the product is those sectors generally have higher dispersion among stocks. So there's more sources of getting differences in relative returns. You know, an example of a sector that I'm not particularly active in would be in, you know, Canadian banks. They tend to trade more as a group. There's some dispersion, but it's not typically meaningful. Uh, the sectors you mentioned have much higher dispersion. Um, they could be similar types of companies, but very different outlooks and hence very different um, avenues for returns. And so um, you mentioned those four sectors. I think of those as stock picking sectors. We actually label them here at Fidelity as stock picking sectors. Um, before I was a portfolio manager, I was an analyst at Fidelity, the same as basically every single person on our team who's a portfolio manager. The last three sectors I covered were industrials, tech, and healthcare. So it's not a surprise that I focus on those sectors within this fund. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like with a product like this where you're running 100% long and 100% short, like you have to think about things like dividends right. within the portfolio, especially on the short side, because those are actually um, the property of the lender. Right. if you will. And so I would imagine in areas like real estate, areas like utilities that tend to carry higher dividends, um, I'm assuming that's something that's thought of in the portfolio when it comes to kind of controlling cost. Absolutely. It's part of the investment decision. And again, you know, I wouldn't have in the fund a high growth tech, talk, tech stock that clearly doesn't pay a dividend against a value uh, telco that pays a dividend. That's not the trades I'm trying to accomplish. That's not where we're trying to generate return. Why don't we then walk through an example? I know we have one for you of one of these pair trades that you're alluding to. Um, and I think that this one in particular is, is interesting because it is of two stocks that are of the kind of 
go go growth or a higher octane type uh, type value and and I'm sure investors would be interested to hear uh, how this kind of comes to fruition within the portfolio yeah absolutely so this uh, this is an example of a trade that we had on last year in the as as Roy mentioned high growth high multiple tech space so these are two stocks we were long a company called MongoDB and short a company called Asana both were growing very very rapidly like 80 percent both were trading very very expensive at the time when we put the trade on at 30 times EV to sales so um, similar valuation similar growth however the fundamentals of the companies were very very different MongoDB is a market leader in a very fast growing marketplace called database management um, they basically have no real competition so the growth avenue I think is for years and years to come Asana is a fast growing company but they were playing in a very competitive space called workplace collaboration there's three or four public companies that do the same thing there's three or four you know multi-billion dollar private companies that do the same thing it's very competitive so given these dynamics the margin profiles of the two companies were very very different MongoDB had cash on the balance sheet and was basically at break even Asana was burning about 150 million dollars a quarter with no line of sight for this getting better so let's think about what happened last year these were high growth high multiple tech stocks they were bad uh, MongoDB was not a great stock it went down 10% over the period that I had the trade on however Asana was a much much worse stock it went down 80% over the period we had the trade on so the net profit to the fund is the difference between the two which was 70% so again I want to highlight these stocks were bad they both went down but because of the relative value and the hedging of valuation risks that we did the stock uh, the fund was able to generate a profit from these which I think kind of really highlights the fact that this is more of an absolute return type strategy as long as your longs outperform your shorts if you will irrespective of them going up down or sideways then the fund has the ability to generate a profit that was obviously a very lucrative trade and that's fantastic for the fund but that's not always going to be the case right. like you're going to go through periods where your short position potentially outperforms your long position which in this example that was happening yeah how do you kind of manage through those types of scenarios or what potentially goes through your head as a portfolio manager in terms of controlling risk in that sense yeah so there's there's two parts to that the first is focusing on the fundamentals has anything changed am I wrong is my thesis incorrect and during the period uh, in November where this trade was upside down I kept focusing on that and nothing had changed so I didn't lose any conviction in the fundamentals or that I was missing something the other part that I think is maybe even more important is controlling risk and and the way I do that is with position sizing so I mentioned earlier the typical long book is about 50 stocks the short book is a lot more say 60 to 80 so that leads to more smaller short positions which allows us to in these periods where there's maybe some irrational exuberance which if we look back November was the height of that um, it's not super detrimental to the fund and we can make sure that we can we can wait this out time is on our side and assuming we have the fundamentals correct it will come into fruition and that's what happened on this trade good stuff let's maybe transition now to talking a little bit about um, a little bit about last year but but also talking about 2023 which I think folks are obviously interested at this time of year to hear about um, but if we're reflecting back on last year like as I mentioned in my intro uh, your your product did did very well both on a relative basis and on a risk adjusted basis last year what worked for you right so the start of the year was uh, a lot of what I what I just mentioned sort of the MongoDB Asana type trade so that was 
really focusing on hedging valuation risk, uh, making sure that I was able to buy the best of breed companies, the ones with the more durable growth runway, better capital structure, and just give it time and let that play out. Um, in the latter half of the year, I would say more towards the summer, I started thinking a little differently. And I started thinking about the market is down a lot. We know there's all sorts of bad things going on. Inflation's high, interest rates are going higher, comps are tough, stimulus is gone. But I began to think about one year from now, is the world better or worse? And I came to the conclusion, I think we're in a better spot. I think inflation will at least have slowed. Interest rate raises will, I don't know if they'll stop, but they'll slow. Comps get easier. And we're either in the middle of a recession or we're on our way out. So what I began to do is I get, began to use the tools that the market neutral uh, strategy provides, begin to play offense, but in a risk controlled way. It's almost like a bit of a contrarian type of approach towards what was going on in the market. Not that I would label you necessarily as a contrarian investor, but in terms of looking at areas to kind of um, buy into those stocks where expectations are low and potentially short sell some of those stocks where expectations are high that obviously paid off. Like you made money in seven of 11 gig sectors, I believe next year or last year, sorry, uh, in terms of positive attribution to the fund. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about the elephant in the room last year, which were interest rates. Um, obviously that impacts heavily kind of your approach towards valuation, the sheer math that goes into discounting stocks, but how else does it impact your product? And more specifically, how does it impact the cash within your portfolio as interest rates go up? Right. So for the broader market in general, bonds, obviously stocks as well, you know, raising interest rates was bad. We saw that. We know what happened uh, due to the valuation multiples that contract because of that. However, for the fund specifically, higher interest rates is actually a very good thing. And so when we short a stock, we are actually selling that stock we get cash proceeds from that sale back. Those proceeds stay in the fund and they are invested in uh, super safe, super liquid, Government of Canada overnight securities. So for the, you know, the first few years of running the fund, the yield on that cash was effectively nothing. We weren't really making much money on that. However, things changed dramatically in the second half of last year and now, and now we're actually making a fairly meaningful yield on this cash. So when I think about the fund uh, as it stands right now, we're generating alpha from the stock picking, and we're also getting a yield pickup from the cash proceeds from our short sales. So it's it's accretive to and material to that of portfolio performance at this at this point in time. That's right. It's a good thing for shareholders. Good stuff. How long would you wait for each pair trade to potentially pan out? We talked about it a little bit in the example, and I mean I think it's probably fair to say, correct me if I'm wrong, that each situation is different. But at the same time, uh, I mean, are there any kind of numbers, whether it be soft stops or anything that you think about thresholds that you do not want to cross when it comes to particular pair trades? Yeah. So I think firstly, in terms of time horizons, I try and think about the fund on a one and a half to two and a half year basis. And so over the next two years, you know, where are the areas of the market that look cheap? Where are the areas of the market that look expensive? And how can I capitalize on that? Typically, when you have that view, um, things actually happen faster than that, especially in growth tech. But that's the framework I use. And so in terms of time horizon, I would say somewhere around a year and a half. But typically, it happens sooner than that. Um, in terms of loss thresholds on a pair trade, that's all about has the thesis changed? Has the valuation changed? 
Has there been some incremental news that was better for the short, uh, the company that I'm short or worse for the company that I'm long? That's no different than um, any other sort of long only fund that we have here. Do you have a batting average at all that you strive for in terms of like profitable versus unprofitable trades within the portfolio? Like in an ideal world, is there a certain number of trades that you're looking to get right versus wrong that you think will help the fund break even, if that makes sense? Yeah. And so there, there is. And again, let's, let's put numbers around this, right? And so on average, I have about 50 of these pair trades on. If I can be right on 55% of them um, and make 50 basis points per trade over that year and a half to two year time horizon, that results in a sort of high single digit return the low double digit returns for the shareholders. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And that's how, that's how we go about doing it. Right on. Let's talk a little bit about looking forward now in 2023. Um, before I get into some minutia, first off, like any broad thoughts around your outlook and, and positioning moving into 2023? Yeah. And so um, kind of akin to what we kind of touched on briefly before, I'm a firm believer that stocks price in what's going to happen about a year in advance. So I'm trying to think about not where we are today, but where we are when we're talking one year from now. And as I mentioned, I think the world is in a better place at that point in time. So what I'm trying to do is play offense, but in a risk controlled way. And the way I'm doing that is I'm thinking about stocks that have gotten beaten up that are really cheap. And so a lot of these kind of tend to happen in consumer discretionary right now and some in industrials. There's a bunch of stocks trading at let's call it seven times earnings. We know the earnings estimate is far too high, but let's say it's 50% too high. That means the stock is trading at 13, 14 times earnings at the bottom. So as long as it has a clean balance sheet, I think over two years, that's a great way to make money. On the other side of the book is um, stocks that I think have held up really well. Um, they're typically more defensive. A lot of these are in the staples, some are in utilities. They are trading at all-time high valuations still. They grow like 3%. And so I think that if market sentiment turns at some points, these stocks will underperform. And so that's kind of the big focus of the trades I have on right now. Yeah. And that's, again, speaking to that kind of contrarian notion, if yeah. you will, that we, we talked about before. Um, I want to dive into a few specifics on a sector uh, level, um, in particular, kind of going back to what we talked about at the start with some of those sectors that you tend to be more heavily exposed to on a gross basis. Um, those that kind of stick out to me being tech, healthcare, and consumer discretionary. So why don't we start with tech? Because, I mean, that's probably the sector that um, has been the most exposed to these, uh, these interest rate moves that we've seen over the course of the past year or so. Um, but again, a sector that you, you generated a positive return in, in 2022. So are there any kind of like underlying trends or themes that you're seeing within that space moving into 23? Yeah. And so... Um, again, right, the direction of, let's call it the NASDAQ when we're talking about sure. tech is not particularly relevant to the performance of this fund. It's the dynamics of what I own versus what I'm short. Um, and so within that, there is a continuation of the cyclical trade. There are parts of tech, uh, specifically semiconductors that are trading at, in some cases, high single digit multiples. They are growth stocks. We are in a, the middle of a semiconductor slowdown, but these things tend to correct over four to six quarters. We're four quarters into this, so I feel pretty positive that things get better a year from now and the stocks, you know, before a year from now will be up a lot. So those are examples of uh, stocks that I own. Um, on the other side of tech, there's, um, there's a portion of tech stocks that are still very expensive. 
that are often seen as darlings, safe havens. And I think that those, uh, if the market turns and sentiment changes, will underperform. They might not go down necessarily, but they won't go up as fast as the stocks that I'm long. And that's how we're going to generate a positive return. Why well, we move to the second most beta heavy sector, if you will, being consumer discretionary. Do you kind of see any changes from the perspective of the consumer um, moving into again, 2023? Yes. The consumer is in trouble. The outlook is not great. I think that's very well understood. There's a debate, are we heading into a recession in 2023? I think we're probably already in one. And so we're seeing it across the board, the numbers are too high. But like I mentioned, there are parts of this space where the stocks have already more than reflected that. And those are the stocks that I'm starting to buy. On the other hand, there's parts of the space where the earnings will be probably okay. They'll go down a little bit, but not too much. But again, they're at all time highs. So these are what I call expensive defensives. It's not an area of the market over two years that I think can help. Last but not least, healthcare. I mean, obviously we've, we're going through a transition period right now, if you will, where I don't want to say we're fully through the pandemic, but we're certainly um, in a different place than we were, call it two years ago. Is there anything within healthcare that's kind of sticking out? Yeah, so I, I think on the short side within healthcare, there's still a number of companies that had huge benefits from COVID. So a simple example of that would be a company that uh, their base business is flu tests, and that's a fine business and it grows slowly over time. But however, during COVID, they pivoted to COVID tests and their business grew rapidly. Um, that's all coming to an end. And I think that earnings will disappoint uh, meaningfully and margins will disappoint meaningfully too. And it's not in the stock yet. So within healthcare, I think there's some still some COVID winners that will revert back to the norms and the market is not anticipating that. Can we kind of talk a little bit about the broader notion of shorting? I mean, I know it's it's a huge part of what you do within your fund. It's, it's half of your product in yeah. terms of the, the gross notional exposure that's in there. But I feel like there's still this kind of misconception out there nowadays that short selling is reckless and risky. And I personally don't think it needs to be, but I'm just curious as a portfolio manager what your thoughts are around that. So the market neutral alternative fund is a true hedge fund. It is a hedge fund. We hedge out risk. We focus on risk. It's one of the most important things we do. So especially on the short book, risk control is very, very important. And there's numerous ways we do this. Um, number one is we all know what happened with some of these uh, stocks that squeezed two years ago. GameStop is kind of the classic example. So we monitor um, the cost of borrow, which is something we get every day. The higher the cost of borrow, the more shorted the stock is, the higher the risk is that it could squeeze on sort of no information or Reddit or something random. We have specialized software that tells us, you know, these, these buckets of stocks have higher squeeze risk. And of course, like I mentioned before, um, we have portfolio sizing. So more bets, but smaller bets, which means that if there is a period where there's some sort of squeeze action, we can withstand it. It's not going to be detrimental and we're not going to be forced upper position that we think is overvalued. Um, so when I think about that and the way that we use uh, short selling on to, to control for risk, especially when we're talking about hedging valuation risk, which is something we did within growth tech last year, um, it can actually be beneficial to your risk metrics. It can actually be used to help control risk. And that's something we demonstrated last year by having a volatility profile much lower than the underlying markets and a positive return profile in a year where basically every asset class was down. Yeah, like obviously very additive towards your process last year. And I'm assuming we'll aim to be kind of in years to come. Um, when it comes to 
that short side of things, though, I, I am curious a little bit about, like, how does your team play into this? Because everybody talks about the research analysts at Fidelity and what goes into stock picking on the long side. But how do you kind of capitalize on value or create value when it comes to short selling within your product? interest? That's right. And so the job of a analyst at Fidelity is to cover a certain sector and rate groups of stocks or different stocks in that sector along a scale of buy sell. So that to me sounds exactly like a pair trade. It is exactly what this fund is built around. And so over a long period of time, our buys have outperformed the market by approximately 9% and our sales have underperformed by approximately 7%. What the market neutral alternative fund allows us to do is given the new tool of short selling, we can capitalize on all the things we've been doing for 20 years, rating stocks, research, visiting companies, understanding the fundamentals, make money on, on the long book by owning our buys and actually make money on the short book by selling ourselves. So it's not particularly different than anything we've been doing for a long, long period of time. It's just another tool to capture all the value that we can provide. So you rely on the analysts a fair bit and I'm, I'm a little bit curious then kind of if you can walk us through We've talked about pair trades a little bit. We've now identified the fact that the research process is, uh, is pretty important with regards to this product as well as all of our others. Like, how do you think of a pair trade? Is it the type of thing that, um, that really is, is kind of your, your brainchild, if you will, or do you utilize the analysts? Like, what, what are some of those instances, or can you give us a few examples of how Brett DeLay thinks of how to pair stock A versus stock B. Absolutely. So again, my whole framework is thinking about relative value. It is not about, are, is this stock going to go up or is this stock going to go down? It is about, is this stock going to go up more than another stock or down less than another stock? And so an example, we kind of talked about industrials, but let's talk about airlines as an example. Sure. Um, so airlines, you know, some people will never buy them. They're not great businesses. All these things are pretty well understood. However, the way I try and think about the airlines as a way to make money is, an example would be last spring. Um, the airline industry was obviously in a tough spot in COVID and it started to bounce. And everybody had booked their, their, their leisure trip, right? If you haven't seen your family in two years, you went, you booked that trip. If you haven't gone to Disney World, you went, you did it. You went to Vegas. And so that kind of played out and we're heading into a recession. So we don't have unlimited money and we don't have unlimited time to keep going on those types of trips. What was still lagging within the airlines, however, was business travel. And for me particularly, business travel really ramped up sort of in the fall, late summer. And I suspect this year it's going to be very, very busy. And so what I try and do uh, within the airlines was I thought about, okay, there are some airlines that are much more exposed to business travel. And this is an area that I'm positive on and hasn't recovered. And there are other airlines that are much more focused on leisure. And this is an area that heading into a recession doesn't seem so good. So that would be an example, long the airline that focuses on business travel, short the airline that focuses on leisure, where we can make some money based on different fundamentals amongst a group of stocks that are typically seen so maybe as being very similar. Uh, an analyst takes that, um, that airline and they go to a conference and they interview two companies and they come back and they say, hey, Brett, I like company A and I'm not as fond of company B. Is that the type of scenario that can potentially pose a trade for you. That is absolutely, that is something we've been doing for 20 years and that's just something we keep continuing to do in this fund. Great stuff. We've kind of talked about a few things of, of what this product is today. It's a fund that does not rely on 
uh, on correlation or sensitivity to that of broader markets. It's a fund that strives for, call it, a mid, single, mid to high single digit type return profile, uh, consistency, low volatility. How do you want this fund to work for investors? So it's all of those things that you mentioned, which striving for mid single digit type returns, maybe a little better um, with a low volatility profile. But most importantly, we want to have no correlation with the underlying asset class. And so what that can provide, the market was down. The volatility profile was, I think, a third to a fifth of the underlying markets. So putting that in context, that means higher reward with lower risk. So that's the benefit of having a non-correlated asset within your portfolio to diversify, help add to reward and lower risk. And in a year where everything is carrying a correlation of one, or at least that's it right. seems, um, those are the instances where, where this product can obviously be very beneficial for that of investors. Brett, I want to say thanks so much for your time today. And I will probably hear from you a number of other times within 2022 or 2023, sorry. Um, so I want to say best of luck. And, uh, and again, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.